Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast, sponsored by TIS College Bookstore, Cameron Drummond, along with a special guest, Dylan Wallace, coming at you from inside beautiful podcast studio number eight here in Franklin Hall on the campus of Indiana University. Dylan will be helping us out with uh, men's basketball coverage for the rest of the season, along with a couple other cast of characters that you know and love from their work on the Indiana Daily Student Sports Desk. And Dylan was gracious enough, in addition to his duties as a women's basketball reporter, to help us out on the men's beat this past weekend for the Minnesota game. Dylan, thanks for stopping by for a bit. Yeah, no problem. Happy to help out. I'm sure you're happy to help out, but uh, obviously you follow the team, you know, from a close standpoint, just being a student at Indiana and, you know, being in and around the women's basketball program, you naturally have an interest in how things are going on the men's side of things. And uh, I don't think anyone anticipated quite what we saw this past weekend. No, uh, not at all. And it, it took, I think it surprised a lot of people because it's, so what, we're, we're four games removed from that, that Michigan State win in East Lansing. And yeah. Even Iowa and Ohio State, you know, they at least, like, played kind of well. Those were close, gritty, you know, one-possession games. Of course, we're talking about Indiana 63, Minnesota 84, the 21-point loss that the Hoosiers suffered to the Golden Gophers up at the barn in Minneapolis. But, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, even Archie Miller kind of mentioned that in his pre-Minnesota media availability on Friday, the idea that those games against Iowa and Ohio State, yes, Indiana lost, less that made that... 9 out of 10 losses, but those were tight games that kind of could have swayed either way. I mean, especially the Ohio State game came down to literally the final minute of the game, and then just a complete role reversal at Minnesota where Indiana had the lead for maybe the first three minutes of the game and yeah. then just got the doors blown off the rest of the way. Yeah, it was it was really bad. They looked like they were... They came out, and like you said, those first three minutes, it looked like they were playing with energy, and then they looked like... Well, we also had like an altered lineup to start the game as did. well. Rob Finnessy was uh, had some, some illnesses during the week, an, up, an upper respiratory infection, I believe. So Devontae Green got the start at guard, and then Deron Davis, frankly, I just think from an ability level, came in, uh, not necessarily position-wise, but body-wise for Justin Smith. I really like those two moves. Yeah. It kind of paid dividends at the beginning, but then... Like well, you mentioned, yeah. it fell well, apart. Well, I thought they were good moves because, especially against Ohio State, IU started the game down like 11-2, to 2, and then in comes Devontae and Ron for Rob and, and Justin, and all of a sudden they start to make some baskets. And I'm like, okay, maybe those two can cure some bad starts. And for three minutes they did against Minnesota. They were up like 6-5, to five, and you're like, okay, this is going to be kind of back-and-forth battle. But also the, then, the idea, too, is like, what's there to lose at this point? Indiana's going to start bad yeah. In a game anyway, you might as well have like a different group of people just trying something out new because maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, but you're probably going to get the same result, but at yeah. least you're giving yeah. it a chance to have a different result. Well, first of all, Devontae picked up two fouls in like a minute and a <coughs> half, so it yes. basically seemed like Rob was the starter. So that did not matter. <laughs> yeah, not really. And Durant picked up a few early baskets, hit some free throws, so so that was working. And it's just like just the three-pointers. Yeah, that's been huge all year. Is opponents' ability to make three point shots, and it's not even that like IU can't hit them. It just seems like they give up so many 
Well, and also, it, Minnesota was not one of the candidates no. to have a good yeah, three-point shooting game against Indiana. I think like, you tweeted out during the game, they were, I mean, this was last, mentioned on the broadcast by everyone, the they were 10. the worst Big Ten three-point shooting from, team. Three-point range. Which is surprising yeah. that's not Indiana, honestly, but by the end of the season, it's probably going to be like Indiana. and they're like 11, so I don't know what two teams are in between them. But, but Minnesota went crazy yesterday. Started the game four for four. Season high, 12 three-pointers, yeah. freshman guard, Gabe Kalsher had six by himself. I thought he was Carson Edwards. He just kept. He pulled up from anywhere. He was just hitting everything. No, that that'll be Tuesday. We get Carson Edwards on Tuesday yeah, night. Drop like forty. So Minnesota had an unexpected game from behind the arc. Minnesota also Jordan Murphy was the one thing that Indiana knew it had to be concerned with going into the game. Physical inside body averages a double double. Has kind of torched IU throughout his Golden Gopher career. And Indiana was just powerless to stop him too. I mean Minnesota plays with an inside-out style, featuring a lot of, you know, touches in the paint for guys like Murphy, guys like freshman center Daniel Oturu, and they do that because they're not a consistent shooting team from the outside. Now, yesterday, they both made shots from the outside, and Murphy was able to kind of feast on the inside as well. I mean, Indiana through Evan Fitzner, through Justin Smith, through Deron Davis, through Juwan Morgan-Adam, and no one could do anything about what Murphy wanted to do with the ball, finishing through contact, that kind of thing. Yeah, not at all, and... It- you see this a lot whenever the other team has like a big man that's that's hard to stop. IU will always like double him quick, and they did that with Murphy. But unlike everyone else, Murphy he was patient, and so he kept his dribble alive. He waited for the double team to leave, and then it was just one on one again. So it was like they they had a game plan, and like which funny because after the game and some post game comments in the Indiana locker room or just outside the Indiana locker room. I believe it was Deron Davis said that he thought they executed the game plan against Murphy well, and he just was kind of in awe by the athleticism of Murphy and how well he was able to, you know, kind of play within the game plan IU was trying to do against him and still have success. Well, he just wanted it more, and that's what it's come down to these last few weeks is that IU, I mean, especially this game against Minnesota, they looked like they didn't care at all. Yeah. After they got down by, like, 10, and then they cut it to 5 with, like, 4 minutes left in the first half, and then that's when they were down 12 at halftime, and then they just got outscored by, like, 12, or, like, yeah, 12 in the second half. So That, that opening maybe two or three-minute stretch in the second half really seemed to kind of bury the team. The game. Yeah, completely. And it, that, we would talk about how Murphy had so much success. He just went after the ball. He just went after loose balls. And Archie Miller said it post-game, and he's been saying it for, it seems like, a while now. And it's just like those 50-50 balls, you yes. know, offensive rebounds. Other teams are just getting them, and we are not. And you got to fix that, and that hasn't happened. And that's why Murphy was so aggressive and was able to succeed, even though maybe they executed a game plan well against him. And that's why Minnesota was able to just run away with the entire game. And it wasn't even like a, you know, hostile environment either. I mean, no, I mean, the barn's a cool place to play. It was like 80% full. It's not necessarily intimidating. It's more just like, I don't want to say unique because that's a journalism word that I'm never supposed to use, but uh, distinct. There we go. Yeah. And it wasn't anything, like, crazy, like you're in a hockey <coughs> arena or they're just going crazy and it's hard to... Indiana's been in diff- more difficult environments this season. Also lost games in more difficult environments this season. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, something that also kind of struck a lot of people, not only, you know, watching the game, but, you know, kind of in the, the social media Twitterverse that Indiana basketball lives in sometimes. Romeo Langford goes 4 of 6 in the game, plays 31 minutes, had an incredibly low usage rate for the game. Usage rate basically measures the percentage of team plays that a player is involved in. So, for example, Jordan Murphy's usage rate for Minnesota was above 30%, led the Golden Gophers because he was involved getting touches on so many possessions for them. 
Romeo Langford's usage rate for Indiana was something like 12%. He was below guys like Evan Fitzner and Al Durham. I think Devontae Green's usage rate was like 31%, something astronomically high. Juwan Morgan's was up in the 30% range as well. So Romeo's was only at 12%, the seventh highest on the IU team. Takes only six shots, finishes with 10 points, tied for third on the team with Davis from the game. Did you think he was assertive enough? No, I don't think he was. And he really hasn't been for for kind of a while. It just doesn't feel like he's been too aggressive. And if you listen, if you watch the game and you listen to Dan Dockage talk, he he would he, he blamed the he blamed the coaching and he said or the, how the, the schemes of like how they're not setting they're high not ball setting schemes. Up. Yeah, they're they're just not setting up to succeed. And p- part of that is true, but another part of it is is Romeo was just kind of too passive and. I don't know. I mean, I know he's used to being able to just blow by anybody he wants in high school, but like that wasn't that's not the case anymore. And so like once he gets maybe shut down on that initial take at first, he just kind of dishes it off to the side. And so one is him being too passive. Two is the offense has looked bad for quite some time now. And even like Jawan Morgan, even they're not even they didn't even use him that effectively yesterday. I mean, they give it to him a few times, but you, they just need Juwan and Romeo need to touch the ball every possession. They they need to be in the mix. They need to be maybe they can run some some ball screens with each other. But either way, you got to give it to Juwan in the post. You got to have Romeo up top. Maybe run Romeo off the ball on the baseline. They just need to be involved, or else we're gonna see a lot of things like happened yesterday, where Devontae's shooting step back threes. You know, Rob shooting pull-up threes after when the shot earlier in the shot clock and missed shots. Minnesota comes out, makes them, and they keep not giving it to Juwan and Romeo, and the league gets bigger and bigger, and essentially just the game ends. So yeah, I mean, he wasn't assertive. And, and there, and you saw when he drove. I mean, he yeah. he got to the paint. He made. Plans, I mean, he he but, still remains one of college basketball's most efficient finishers when it comes to driving to the rim, getting layups. He also gets fouled. You know, he's a high foul rate guy. Yeah, he's good at drawing contact. So. You would like to see more of that from him. I think part of it, too, is just... I think it's become kind of clear that Romeo isn't necessarily the alpha type of personality on the court that's going to get the ball and just start canning shots right away. Like, he's just not that type of player, which, like, isn't his fault or anything like that. But for an Indiana team that's so starved for offense and so starved for any kind of spark offensively, especially when, you know, the outside shots aren't falling and they're just struggling to stay within touching distance of teams, you kind of want a guy who's just going to get the ball and kind of take over a game like a Carson Edwards for Purdue. That's not Romeo's style. It's not necessarily his fault, but the way that this team has kind of evolved over the season, you almost wish that Indiana had a guy like that, be it Romeo or someone yeah, else. Yeah, a good example of this is against Northwestern in, like, December 1st, I think that game was. The home game, yeah. They were they were tied, and I don't even think Juwan was in the game. I think he got hurt. Yeah, Juwan yeah. got hurt with about but, four to five minutes but left. But they ran a play at the end for Romeo to get the ball and he kind of drove and hit a floater to win the game. Yeah. And so that was the team setting up Romeo to go get a shot. Well, yesterday against Minnesota, they're down like 10 and you could see that it was like out of a timeout and you could just see that it was kind of just like Romeo go score. And like you said, he's not, he doesn't have that like killer mentality to just go out and get buckets. And you could see he kind of, he forced like a three-pointer. And like, there was no set, there was nothing. We've also seen a lot of like from a guy and from a more of a team in general that is not good at outside shooting and is not good at three-point shooting, Indiana does have a really maddening tensity, or tensity, what I'm trying to say, tendency, tendency. goodness, tendency 
to just settle for really bad step-back three-pointers, which Romeo only shot one and missed one yesterday, but he does get into the habit of that a bit as well. I'm thinking back to the end of the Ohio State game in particular. He does, yeah, and that shot was, I mean, it was kind of in and out, but I didn't think that the, the three-pointer in that game was the move for Romeo. He should have yeah. just taken it to the hole, but, I mean, I guess you can't knock him. I mean, at least he's he's confident, you know, because he, right. he hit, like, two right before that that were pretty big in the game, so, yeah. I mean, I guess it's great to see confidence. He's not afraid to shoot, but... They're just not falling, and it's turning into not the best shots to take for him. I mean, he should be. I think he should be shooting more than six a game, obviously. You mean he, just shots? In I mean, in general, you want him taking more than six shots a game, yeah, right? Yeah, you do. And it took him like maybe eight minutes to get a shot. Yeah, and that happens a lot, and <coughs> and I don't know why. Maybe that's why they got off to such low starts because they don't get Romeo involved early. Yeah. And another thing with Romeo is that like, uh, he's just his his even his handles like aren't the aren't the best. So You see, I kind of want more ball-handling Romeo. I really liked it earlier in the season, back when Finnessy was out with his concussion for that maybe four- to five-game stretch when Romeo was kind of the primary ball-handler. Of course, he had spells where Al Durham and Devonta Green were in there as well. But I really did like Romeo kind of being in charge and, you know, commanding the offense from that standpoint. I know with Finnessy in there, obviously you give him the keys to the car in that respect, but... I kind of wish Indiana went more to that a little bit, just maybe giving Romeo the ball, letting him orchestrate things to his liking. But again, if he doesn't have the personality or the skill set to where he's going to be, you know, the prototypical LeBron James in the game, having the ball, orchestrating guys around to make sure he's got the right yeah. one-on-one matchup, that's not who Romeo is at the same time. And it's to the point where sometimes it looks like he's kind of like unsure of what to do. Like, do I go shoot this or do I give it to one of my teammates? Because he, he's, he's pretty unselfish. Yeah. Like, you know, credit to him, but... He Almost needs, to a fault, but yes. Right, but he needs to be he needs to be more selfish for I just stay in games because, I mean, look at earlier in the year when they were winning games, he was scoring like 18, 20, 20 a game. And now, I mean, that recent, that losing streak, I mean, he didn't even reach 10 points in a few of those games. Right. I mean, I, I think back, uh, I mean, while I was looking, you know, at Purdue coming up this Tuesday night, uh, had low, worst game of the season was at Mackey, scored four points, had a really tentative first half where he had two early fouls came in the second half and tried to be more aggressive, but, I mean, sometimes just when the shots aren't falling from the shots aren't falling from at the same time. Yeah, and they defended them pretty well. I mean, they have some good wing defenders, yeah. and Eastern and Holiday. I mean, the, No, those, Joe Eastern's phenomenal. Yeah, those guys are really good defenders, and it's like it, IU gets to this point where, like, if their game plan doesn't work, they just start to crumble, and, like, Romeo yeah. picks up two fouls out of the game, like, where's our scorer at? And then they just kind of fell apart in that Purdue game. And it's just kind of been how it's been all season. So yeah, the whole month or the whole year of two thousand nineteen has been falling apart. Yeah, the, the thing is, is that another good point that Dawkins brought up yesterday was that how Romeo is like he's playing against set defenses. Yeah. Because they don't run plays for him, so the defense isn't moving. Like if Romeo comes off ball screens or any just anything to kind of get the defense moving, because against Purdue, they just kind of gave Romeo they gave Romeo the ball and Purdue defended him really well and he couldn't get anything going. I mean, I remember he just. He got blocked a few times. He wasn't getting those fouls called. He was getting frustrated. Yeah. And so for him they, him and IU to have success, they're going to have to just run some things on offense. And it sounds simple, but that's it's what's been their Achilles heel lately is their offenses look so bad, so stagnant in these losing. In the that, I mean, that's, a, that's the thing, too. It's really not even the defense as much. It's just when Indiana goes through these three- and four-minute stretchers when they're scoring maybe once, maybe not at all. Like, you could play the best defense in the world, and if the opponent's going to hit 60, 65 points, they're probably going to beat Indiana. Yeah. Of course, that's happening with 10 minutes to go in the game instead of right at the buzzer. Yeah. 
But, like, they played great defense, I mean, in the real rock fight against Ohio State and just could not find anything. Uh, I mean, we were hypothesizing things here about how to fix the offense, how to fix Indiana's woes. I mean, obviously losing 10 of 11 games. Went from a 12-2 and start to 13-12 and now, 4-10 and in conference with six regular season games to go. But for all these schematic things we're discussing, this team just doesn't look like it's going to get fixed, man. No, it really doesn't. And like the, the handwriting's very clearly on the wall for Indiana right now. And and the crazy part is is that there's these these games that are left can put them into the NCAA. Indiana's track. next four games: home against Purdue, at Iowa, home against Wisconsin, home against Michigan State. Three of those four are at home, and all four of those are against teams currently ranked between 11th and 21st in the AP Top 25. So, yeah. like, in theory, you punch it into a calculator, you punch it into the bracketology computers, Indiana wins three of those four games, they're right back in the NCAA tournament discussion. And the other two games are against Illinois and Rutgers. Which two, should be wins. Which should be wins. So, Indiana, let's say they win four of six, five of six to end the season, right back in NCAA tournament discussion, right. probably in. But you balance the possibility of them doing anything meaningful in these next four games with the fact that Indiana's given you zero reason to think that they will do that. And I thought, and I thought they were going to do that after they beat Michigan State. And then I yeah. went, and, and like, okay, we say they played well against Iowa and Ohio State, but like, you got to win at least one of those games. Yes, you're at home. Yes, and in particular, Ohio State. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Iowa, Ohio State. Iowa, we can give a little pass. I mean, they're ranked like twenty or something. And that Bohannon guy was... Had a crazy win at Rutgers last night. I mean, they defended him well. He was just hitting shots. And it was another thing against Ohio State. Jackson just... They had the good... They were up three after Devontae hit that deep three at the end of the shot clock. And Jackson just, like... They had to hold the possession defended well. There was, like, three on the shot clock. And Jackson just kind of, like, pulls up and hits it. And it's just kind of those unlucky breaks that happened in those two games. But still... IU had the ball with like 50 seconds left and it's tied and then they turn it over and there's just those things that you need to finish they they, they did finish earlier in the year in yeah. December and now they're not and and I think that they were on such a high after Michigan State that going home and losing two in a row it might have just like killed their confidence back down and that's why we saw what we saw in Minnesota yesterday right but I don't know I mean these games remaining I I don't they I mean, present the opportunity present. but how likely is it that Indiana's going to take advantage of that opportunity? Because they've given you no indication that they're going to be competitive in most of these games, yeah. let alone winning them. And I guess the I guess the good thing is is that this first one is against Purdue, because no matter how much they have they have played bad these last three games, throughout the, rec- throughout the records for Purdue, you know, just because we're in Bloomington, I mean, it's going to be a really good crowd because no matter what, they're going to want to beat Purdue. And so the crowd's going to be on fire, and that that might play to their advantage. If they can feed off of that energy and just pull out a win, maybe that changes things going forward. But I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I watched Purdue play after the IU game yesterday, and it's just like... Yeah. Purdue handled Penn State pretty easily at the weekend. They like 12, I think. Yeah. And they've, just, they've been playing really well lately, and I don't see... Even if IU defends them well... They've got... For I'm comparison, against. since the Purdue-IU game in January... Indiana has gone one and six. Purdue has gone six and one. Yeah, and the difference between yeah. IU and all the other teams is that they, they they run things on offense and they have shot makers. Yeah, and it's just, it's just as simple as that. And I, and like we said, IU's defense can be as good as it can be, but if you can't score, then it's not going to matter. And that's kind of been the issue I've had with Archie ever since he came here because 
he's put such an emphasis on defense that it's it's improved a lot since he took over, but the offense just hasn't produced enough for them to be able to win games. I mean, we've watched good defense all year. They've been able, like Michigan State, they defended Iowa pretty well. They defended Ohio State pretty well. It just comes down to your offense, and there's just no movement on offense. I can't tell you how many times you know, Rob Finnessy will come off a screen, and he can he, it looks like he can attack, but he just pulls it back out. Hand off to Durham, hand off to Langford, hand off back to Finnessy, and the shot clock's at three. And for some reason, it ends up with Justin Smith's hands to shoot like a 15-foot jump shot. And it's just like, That's why? probably not going in. And we're just like, why? Why can't we? Why can't you give it to Juwan? Why can't you have Romeo, you know, come off an off-ball screen or have Romeo have the ball and get it set, screen set for him? It's just, it's hard to watch. Yeah. Well, uh, Dylan will be helping us out with uh, road game coverage for the rest of the season. So hopefully you've read his story from yesterday's loss, or Saturday's loss, I should say, at Minnesota. If not, idsnews.com slash sports, you know where to go. He'll also be helping us out for coverage this coming week for the Iowa road game and then at Illinois on March 7th. Dylan? The Big Ten tournament. Oh, I, I forgot. Dylan Wallace also coming. It could be big for IU, too. Okay. If they, no, I'm saying, like, if they okay. can, can win a maybe half of these last six remaining games, and they'd have to win a few games at the Big Ten tournament. Ever the optimist, Dylan Wallace. Thank you. Well, you know. And on that note, we'll take a break and stick with us. We'll be right back here on the Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast presented by TIS College Bookstore. TIS College Bookstore has been outfitting generations of IU fans for over 56 years, and we have the largest selection of IU apparel and gifts in Bloomington. Start your holiday shopping with 25% off one regular priced apparel or gift item at iugear.com when you use promo code IUBB. If you're in town for the game, stop by TIS and show us your athletic ticket stub, and we'll give you 25% off one IU sportswear item. TIS College Bookstore, representing everything IU. Welcome back to the Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast presented by TIS College Bookstore, Cameron Drummond, Dylan Wallace coming at you from inside Franklin Hall. We mentioned this earlier before we got into the discussion of Indiana, Minnesota, and Indiana's offensive problems and all of that good stuff. But I alluded to the fact that Dylan Wallace is one of our uh, women's basketball reporters, I should say. He's just helping us out with men's basketball coverage for the rest of the season. But his primary beat, along with Stefan Kreischnick, is covering IU's women's team. So haven't really talked a whole lot about them on the podcast so far this year. So Dylan, 17-9 and overall for IU's women's team. They're 6-8 in conference. They kind of have the same Jekyll and Hyde persona as the men's team. Not quite to the extent that Archie Miller's group has, but... Terry Moore's team did a really good job in non-conference play, suffered what one loss to Grambling State in the non-conference, but then six, since Big Ten play has started, it's really been kind of an up-and-down period for the team where they've won one game, lost a couple, won one game, lost a couple, that sort of pattern repeating itself. Uh, obviously, the big news right now with the team is the injury to uh, star guard Allie Patberg. So give us a quick state of the program for the women's team as they kind of hit the home stretch of the season. Yeah, you kind of hit it right on the head. I mean, it is it has kind of mirrored this men's team. They haven't had, like, as bad as of a collapse. Like, they didn't lose seven in a row at any point, but they really struggled in kind of the, the middle of the of the Big Ten season. And right now, obviously, the big issue is, like you said, Allie Pepperg is out for the foreseeable future. We don't know. I mean, she, she, they Morin, Coach Morin said dislocated shoulder after the game, but then she said, like, popping her arm back in the socket, and then 
you know, her father talks to the Republic in Columbus, Indiana, which is where she's from, and says that there's no bone damage, so we're hopeful for her to return, and then... Now, real quick, how important is she to the women's team? What does she give them that they're, they've been missing in the, you know, the little couple weeks here where she hasn't been playing? No, she runs the offense. And she handles the ball really well. That seems important. Yeah. The she, blanket statement. She runs well, the offense. Also, seems important. She's also the leading scorer. And, ah, that's also uh, and important. She kind of she kind of had some struggles as of late before she got hurt. You know, she wasn't scoring at the higher rate she was in the non-conference play. But she averages about 16 points a game and about five assists per game. And it's to the point where, you know, now we're having Ben Duyaney and Grace Berger kind of handling the point guard position. And they can do it, but it's just not the same because they're just not as comfortable with the ball in their hands. Um, I mean, Yaney had to kind of run the point a few times last year when, when Tyra Buss kind of deferred, but that didn't happen that much. So, you know, they got to play off the ball a lot. And now that, now that they're both pro- primarily ball handlers, it's, it's been tough because the offense has completely changed. And now they're kind of looking for their their leader. And Yaney and Jalen Penn have done a really good job of kind of picking up the scoring, but it's just the wins are just not coming. And it's kind of unfortunate to see because they did start the season so promising, and now they, they were what, ranked for a hot second there, right? For about two weeks, I think they're ranked twenty five. One of the one of the few times in program, I guess, much like the men's team, all the way back, strong on conference time in program history, they were yeah. ranked in the top twenty five. And they're, they're, they're in discussion for being making into the NCAA tournament. But, you know, without Papperg and, and these remaining games, which sees a ranked Rutgers team tomorrow night at home and then a ranked Iowa team on Thursday, it's four, it's yeah, yeah, four, four games in the season for the women's team. Even Northwestern and Purdue, they, they lost to both of them earlier this year. So Oof, that's a, I mean, that, those, those are three of those four games are at home. Northwestern's the only road game, but that's still a pretty... That's a difficult stretch to finish with there. It's going to be tough, and especially if they don't have Patrick, it's going to be a lot harder. And, and they're, they're on a three-game slide right now, too. Yeah, and that's the first time this season I'm pretty sure they've lost three in a row. Correct. And it's just, it's it's been hard to watch. And even in, even before Patrick got hurt, the, the team struggled. They, they turned the ball over 20-plus times in a few games, and they just, their offense just didn't really... They just couldn't hit shots. It was as simple as that. They were getting good looks. They just couldn't really hit them. And other teams were just able to make shots. It's, it's a simple thing yeah. of basketball, yeah. making shots. But I'm serious. That's kind of how the game went down. You know how many times IU would start the game and they would get wide open looks and just couldn't hit them. And they've had similar scoring droughts to the men's team. They're, they've had their three-minute scoring droughts where all of a sudden they found themselves down 10 when they were just up two. And that's kind of been the difference in this stretch. And... Now without Patberg, who who runs things, and she she has the ability to go score on her own. Um, the the other guards they can do it, but they don't have as much, you know, swag or confidence that Patberg has to kind of go score and is confident to take it to the hole or pull up for three. I mean, a lot of the other guards would score kind of off ball screens, off some ball movement, and now without Patberg on the floor, it's been tough. And this these last four games are huge because. They could easily find themselves on the outside looking in when the NCAA tournament runs around, which is unfortunate because heading into this season, you know, Coach Moore emphasized the non-conference play because that's what got them last year. A few losses in the non-conference slate. That's what kept them out of the tournament last yeah, year, and obviously yeah. And now this year they lost one game in it. Yeah. And they started out Big Ten pick three and zero, and now they're four and six and eight. Yes. Six and eight now. So. It's been tough, and these last four games against four really good teams, 
could really be their demise. Yeah. Well, I mean, the makeup of the team is kind of similar to the men's team in terms of it's a pretty young team. Kim Royster is one of the, the few meaningful upperclassmen on the team. Yeah. You also have uh, Brenna Wise, of course, the transfer from Pitt, yeah. who came over with Pat Berry. Both of them sat out last season watching IU win that WNIT title. Has she taken on maybe you know an increased load both offensively and just in terms of leadership? Brenna. With Brenna, yeah, with with Pat Berry being out, or how's that kind of shaken out? I for think the team? so. I mean, she's always been kind of one of the leaders, um, especially vocally. She's she's a really good vocal leader and. She's she's been she's kind of hit her struggles in the Big Ten play as well, but but without Papberg, she's been scoring at a, at a lot higher rate, and yeah. she's kind of taken it upon herself to be more aggressive on the offensive end. So yeah, I definitely say that Brenna Wise has kind of. I mean, they're like they're like sisters too. They call them you know they both went to that transfer. Yeah. With, but they're they're close is the idea, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Very close. So I mean, it, obviously, it took a toll on Brennan to kind of see. That Allie, after going through all that she's been through, can't play right now. But the team, they've kind of—I mean, they're—they're—they're they're, they're kind of moving on without her right now, and they've—they've they've played well. I mean, they just—it's just stretches at the end. I mean, they're up by Michigan's their last two losses against Michigan State and Michigan. They're up by three in the third quarter against Michigan State, and they lose by 15. So they're in these games, and against Michigan, they're—they're they're in the lead in the fourth quarter, and they just can't hold on at the end. So they they're putting themselves in positions to win. And I think without Patberg, that's where you're seeing the real struggle is them not being able to finish games right now. It's also been a while since they weren't home. They haven't won at home since January twenty fourth. I know, right? I mean, we've yeah. seen that with both the men's and the women's yeah. team. They both well, started out undefeated. At yeah, home. There, there was a really good streak going to start back in two thousand eighteen when you combined the tail end of last season's for the men's team and the women's team, especially the WRT tournament run where Indiana played every game at home. And then the start to this season with both teams doing so well at non-conference where there was a period of, what, eight or nine months where there was just not a basketball game lost by an IU team at Simon Scott Assembly Hall versus now where the men's team has lost four straight home games and the women's team has lost, let's count, one. Okay, they've they've only lost two in a row at home, but it's been a month since they've won at home. Right, yeah, they have it once January 16th. Just been on the road a lot. Yeah, Yeah, they've been on the road a lot. And... Coach Moore has talked about you got to learn how to win on the road in the Big Ten, and they've kind of struggled with that. And then when you come home and you're expecting yourself to have home court advantage, they've struggled to even play well there. So yeah. it's kind of been a bad mix. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Assembly Hall was this, you know, it's always been looked at as this like scary place for opponents to come in because you know there's some days where you come into Assembly Hall and you're just like, well, you know, IU's going to win just because of Assembly Hall, but right. not really the case anymore. I don't, I mean, it's I not think really, the, like, I think those, I think really those days are fans. gone, yeah. I mean, there's been good crowds. It's just, just the play of the team. Right. I don't know. It, Teams just aren't feeding off the energy anymore for some reason. And I, I mean, women's games, are, I guess, are a different animal just because of, it's still a sport where there's not a ton of attendance. I don't know if there's right. a crowd, like crowd shaking, like WRT title game last year was crowd shaking yeah, attendance, having 13,000 people there, but... <clears throat> Excuse me. The the mystique of Assembly Hall, especially I feel like for the men's team, has definitely worn off. I think, in particular, that Michigan game at home when the crowd, uh, Friday night crowd, was just begging for anything oh, yeah, to anything to get excited about. And of course, Michigan went on that seventeen zero run. But back to the women's team for one last thing. So you kind of set the stage. Good non conference, shaky conference play. Four games left. Three of them at home, and then the Big Ten tournament in Indianapolis during the first and second weeks of March, what do they need to do to make the NCAA tournament? And I guess, how do you see this shaking out for them? Well, 
I think their last two games against Northwestern and Purdue, I think those are can be wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think tomorrow, they could also be losses. I mean, I there's, think there's two tomorrow, ways a basketball game I goes. Think tomorrow night at Rutgers could they could win that game as well. I don't think they'll beat Iowa on the ro- or at home because I mean Meg- Megan Gustafson, I think is how you say her name. Yeah, she is really good. I mean, she's like six four, and yeah. she's she's gonna she could win Player of the Year in the entire NCAA. She, she's really? gonna force all season long, wow. and she caused a problem last year. She scored like thirty eight on them last season. Ooh. I mean, yeah, it's a so, lot. Yeah, she causes them problems. I don't think they'll beat Iowa, but if they can win, if they can win just two of these last four, and then maybe win the, their first game in the Big Ten tournament. So they don't even necessarily need a deep tournament run, like the men's team most likely will. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. But you never know. I mean, I'm not on the committee's board. I don't decide these things, so yes. I have no idea how it works. But they won one tournament game last year, I believe, right? The yeah, crazy thing the against Michigan round. State, and then they lost to Maryland in the second round. Yeah, and that wasn't enough. But they also didn't have as good of a record as they do now. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. We, we've talked about their non-conference a bit. Is there Obviously, there's quantity there, only losing one game. Is there enough quality in the non-conference? I don't know why I said quality with such a concerned tone in my voice, but is there enough quality there? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, Wake Forest on the road was a good win, and, and so was UCLA. Butler's a good win, too, at home. And Butler. Butler was a good win. South Dakota was a good win, too, because they were... They were receiving votes at the time. On, yeah, they were yeah. receiving votes at the time. But other than that, there wasn't too much. There's not too much to kind of look at. Yeah. And I don't know if those wins against Wake Forest, UCLA, South Dakota, I don't know if those are even enough to, to catch anyone's attention, um, yeah. which is the issue. And throw it... Because that could be an issue, then maybe they do need to win three out of these last four. Maybe yeah. all four. And then a game in the first round to even get in. Gotcha. So I guess um, let, let's close this out by, I guess, looking at it. So from your perspective, the women's team probably needs to win, let's say, three of these four games and then maybe a game or two in the Big Ten tournament to feel good about its NCAA tournament hopes, right? Yeah. Transitioning, to, so. transitioning to the men's team to close it out, what do they need to do to make the NCAA tournament? I know we kind of alluded to it before, but... What's the likelihood that both Indiana teams end up in the NCAA tournament this year? Or it's likely that both uh, both Indiana teams end up in their respective versions of the NIT this year, yes. Yeah, I think that's the more likely version. Um, For the men's team, they probably need to win five for the last six. I mean, I think they're they're going to lose on the road to Iowa probably. Yeah. They're in a much deeper hole. So, I if think, they win yeah. if they win the rest of their home games and then beat who is it, Illinois on the road. Yeah, then if they win the rest Rutgers of their home games day. and beat Illinois on the road and then they win like a game or two in the Big Ten tournament, which historically they're not very good in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah. And maybe that puts them in. But the thing is, is that they're if they win all their home games, that's four that's three ranked teams. Yeah, that's Michigan a state Purdue, Wisconsin. And it's and almost like you have to put them in, right? Because or the computer has the computer analogy <laughs> or the computer algorithm will give them such a high rating even if they don't pass the eye test. So right? maybe if they get those Wisconsin, Purdue, and Michigan State, then maybe the Big Ten tournament doesn't become that big of a deal anymore. Yeah, but probably still need to win like a game or so. Yeah, you can't probably. flame. You can't like flame out in the first round to Rutgers yeah, like I mean, last at this year. Point, yeah. Although in theory, if Indiana's men's team does close the season strong, winning four of six or five of six, they have a good chance of avoiding playing in those opening round Big yeah, Ten tournament games. Because exactly. obviously last year they played. I don't think it was opening night, but they played in the first round against Rutgers and lost. Yeah. So you can maybe avoid even the possibility of having to play one of the bottom feeders like Penn State or Illinois 
uh, or I guess Nebraska, since they've kind of hit hard times recently yeah, right. too. Yeah, so if IU closes out the year and wins all six, which will not happen, they'd be ten and ten in the Big Ten. That will not happen. And they always say like the magic number is ten conference wins, so I yeah. don't know. But I think we, I think it's a, it's almost a foregone conclusion that Indiana is going to finish the season with a losing conference record somehow as well. Yes. The also the other thing too is just that overall record, especially as it sits now with thirteen and twelve, just looks so obtuse. Like. Having double-digit ones there just looks so bad. Yeah. And that's one of the same things for Indiana's women's team is because they took care of non-conference play so well and they've kept it together enough in Big Ten play. The record's, what, 17-9, I think we mentioned? Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, so, I mean, they're probably going to finish with double-digit losses, but it's definitely, like, the the gap there is a lot better, if I'm yeah. trying to make sense. And something to touch on real fast is how Archie Miller said after Minnesota that they need to make drastic Yes, changes. I almost forgot to mention that. Sorry. I don't know what those changes are. Uh, he said we need to look at what we're doing, and drastic changes need to be made. And like this, he said basically, like Minnesota was the game where, like, all right, this is the the you know the wake up call. This is as a result of this drastic change have to happen. This to be wake up call. Yeah. At all, but you figured that would be against Nebraska at home or Michigan at home or yeah, Ohio State at home. <laughs> You'd think, but jeez. I don't, I don't know what those strategy changes are going to be. I guess we'll find out Tuesday if, if anything right. looks different, seems different. And we don't know if that means lineup. We don't know if that means scheme. We don't know if that just means the way they run practice or intensity or coaching substitutions. We also don't know if, if how you know, disengaged the players look Saturday if they've kind of given up. We don't know how yeah. this season is. I mean, But I, I don't know how you can give up as a player when you see the opportunity in front of you and you're like, we can still get into the tournament. And I mean, we, they, they, and keep, we they, know, they, they and always we, preach, you know, next game, next opportunity, that kind of stuff. So we'll we'll see uh, how they go about handling things in practice the next few days, and how they show up on Tuesday. Yeah. So um, to to set the stage for the upcoming week for both teams, Indiana's men's team Tuesday night home against Purdue. Uh, obviously, you know, huge game not only for the NCAA tournament implications and morale for the Hoosiers, but also Indiana has not beaten Purdue in a men's basketball game in three years. It's been two seasons complete, and then the better part of this season, uh, Indiana's last win against Purdue was in Tom Crean's penultimate year, February 2016, as part of that team that made it to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. So it has been a little bit since Indiana's beaten Purdue, and then, of course... You know about it. Purdue fans let you know on social media. Bloomington knows that Purdue has beaten us on the I'm sure Bloomington's very aware. And then, of course, Friday night... Indiana travels to Iowa City to take on the Hawkeyes. Meanwhile, for Indiana's women's team, Monday night, home against number 23, Rutgers. Well, I guess maybe the ranking will change based maybe, on yeah. what the I mean, poll Rutgers comes out tomorrow. Rutgers lost by 20, so maybe they might not be ranked. Maybe they'll be 25. I don't know. So, either way, Rutgers will be in town, assuming flights and buses and trains all run on <laughs> schedule. And then they also play Iowa, but that will be a Thursday night home game at Assembly Hall. All right, anything to add, Dylan, or...? Nope, I think that covers it. Right. Um, yeah, I know. I know Bloomington's hoping that both these teams can pull it together and and you know pull it out. I mean, you always have these. So, you always have these complete opposite fans of like one saying like, "Fire Archery, this team's so bad. I've never seen anyone not want to play." And then the other teams are, and then the other fans are like preaching supportiveness or whatever. They can still make it, you know. Which play, they can play Duke tomorrow. We win. Indi- Indiana's men's team could lose their next six games to close the season and win the Big Ten tournament. You're right. Any team. I mean, you know, they are obligated to put them. Tournament oh yes. How about I mean they almost beat Iowa. So. Not Rutgers may have a better chance of making the NCAA tournament than than Indiana at this they point. More conference wins. So yeah. So we'll see how the rest of the season shakes out for both Indiana's men's and women's squads. We'll try our best to keep you 
up to date on what's going on with both of them, you can visit us, idsnews.com, idsnews.com slash sports. Follow us on Twitter if you feel so inclined. And we will catch you guys next time. Thanks so much.